Hi, this is Coach Colette, and welcome to another episode of Coach Chat. Well, we are rapidly approaching the holidays and the end of the year. And if you're anything like me, you have probably begun to wonder, how am I going to spend the holidays? And who am I going to be able to spend that time with? Now, even before all of this, we know that COVID-19 and the pandemic has played a huge part in how we are socializing, how often, where, how, and in what context. And we all have likely been thinking a lot about social connections and how that impacts loneliness. There's even a growing body of work showing that loneliness makes you more likely to fall ill. It seems to prompt chronic release of hormones that suppress healthy immune function. And biochemical changes from loneliness can accelerate the spread of cancer, hasten heart disease, and Alzheimer's, or simply just drain the vitality out of us. And yet, loneliness is subjective. One person could spend an entire day or even a week alone and be fine, and yet someone else can feel very lonely. So I thought it was great time to have a conversation with Kat Velos. She's a connection coach, user experience designer, and author of two books on adult friendships. So you're going to hear some interesting conversations and discussions about our personal experiences with friendships, as well as the work that she does to bring people together to form authentic relationships, real connections. So get ready and listen up to this coach chat with Kat Velos. Hi, listeners. I'm excited for today's coach chat. I have with me Kat Vellis, who is a user experience designer and author of two books on friendship as adults, which is very interesting because, you know, we're not six anymore and maybe it's not possible to make friends on the playground, particularly during COVID. So I think her books are really exciting. They are We Should Get Together and Connected from Afar, which again, given COVID and the pandemic and all the things that are happening in the world, we really can use some of these lessons. So welcome to the podcast, Kat. Thanks for having me on the show, Colette. Oh, it's my pleasure. What led you to want to talk about how to make friends as adults? This really came out of my experience moving to the Bay Area six years ago. I'd already moved around quite a bit in my life, uh, different countries, different states and cities, et cetera, but I'd never really had a difficult time establishing a friend group or a community when I got to a new place. And when I moved to the Bay Area, even though I was meeting cool people all the time and like going to events and going to brunches and dinner parties and stuff like that, like it was like, there's a difference between like making acquaintances and actually forming deeper friends and community. And I was meeting lots of cool people all the time here, but I found it more difficult to translate a lot of those relationships into reciprocal, regular friends. And when I talked to other people about that challenge, they told me they were having the same challenge and like 
dozens and dozens and dozens of people would mention this whenever I'd bring it up. And so I eventually started hosting a bunch of events and gatherings for people called Better Than Small Talk. And out of that came really the inspiration for this book because it was a problem that I just saw like tons of adults having. And the more I dug into the research, I actually discovered, you know, that the United States and parts of other other parts of the world as well were in this loneliness epidemic and just the increasing rates of disconnection and isolation that people were feeling during adulthood because of people lacking quality friendships and community. And so as a user experience designer and researcher, one of the things I do is help understand how people face challenges with certain tasks or goals that they have, and then research and design better solutions for those problems. And so I saw adult friendship as something that really fell into that category where we needed more guidance and really well-designed solutions that people could use to establish friendship and community. Thankfully, you know, I've been here, like I said, six years, and I'm, I'm no longer in exactly that same place as I was when I was brand new in town, but I really care a great deal about community and friendship because friends have been like my chosen family, and I want everybody to be able to access the friendship and community that they want to. That's amazing. And what I'm hearing a lot of in what you're sharing is meaningful, relevance, authentic friendship, right? As opposed to maybe superficial or I don't want to say casual because you can be casual friends or maybe, maybe you have a different thoughts on that, but it's that sense of, are we really connected? Does this person have my back, if you will? Is, is that a fair? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. That's part of it. Because we can have casual friends with whom you know they have your back and you have their back. And unfortunately, what too many people have is a really high number of superficial connections or superficial relationships. And again, that doesn't necessarily mean like bad, like it's necessary to have loose ties, but many of us have too many loose ties or weak ties and not enough strong, tight ones. Right. And what does that do if, if most of our connections are loose versus strong? What is, how does that impact us? It does a lot of different things. So one is it gives this illusion of connection, but then in a time of real need, there's this sudden crisis of disconnection where, you know, one of the questions I would often ask people is if you got really sick in the middle of the night and you needed to go to the hospital, like who would you call? And, you know, a lot of people just said, like, they would call Lyft or Uber <laughs> to take it to the hospital. And I would like, who would visit you in the hospital? They're like, I don't know. And another colleague of mine who does similar research in the community around connection had, like, a respondent to a survey say, like, you know, I know tons of people who I can go get a drink with, but nobody who would be there for me in a time of need. And that's what I mean when I say like, we need those people who will be there, not just for, you know, margaritas or like chit chat or to talk about the TV show, but actually who would be there. Like if you had a crisis, whether that was a health crisis, an emotional crisis, a physical crisis, like who do you feel safe reaching out to, asking for help from, crying with, like really being vulnerable and being yourself with, because those are the really resilient sources of social support that allow us to feel mentally, spiritually, emotionally well, even when we are not in crisis. You understand what I mean? Yes, absolutely. And it's interesting when you were speaking about that question, who would I call? And I always add to that caveat, besides my 
parents because I'm fortunate to have my parents. And, and ironically, many of my stronger ties aren't in New York City. And so that is something that I struggle with in some ways, right? Like who are my rider dies in New York City? I know outside of New York City who I can, you know, it's like boop, boop, boop. I know before the conversation we were talking about, um, you know, my Corona, we both had Corona birthdays and I had the Zoom girls night, but the Saturday before my birthday. And, you know, in the end, it was, you know, three of my ride or dies. We were on until like almost midnight, right? But none of them live in New York City. So there is that sense. Do you feel that geography or location matters with this? Definitely. Mm-hmm. And one thing I found really interesting about the Bay Area is that there's a really high level of transiency. In the book, I described the four biggest challenges for adult friendship, the first being hypermobility which is the sense of uh, certainly pre-COVID, people being really on the move, right? So here, I don't know if it's similar in New York, but people often had like very long commutes to work. um, And because that ate into their time, they didn't have enough energy for social connection. Similarly, a lot of people move in and out of cities and states and towns, just like I have done. And like you've mentioned, like a lot of your ride or dies are like outside of New York. And so people often have that sense of like, yes, my like, I have like three best friends, but they live in, you know, Pennsylvania, Texas, and Washington, you know, and so it's like, when they need someone and they live in New Mexico, it's like, who are they going to call? And so that transiency and that movement of people all the time can create this absence when somebody does need connection. Um, It's useful, of course, to know that you can get that emotional connection via a call with someone long distance. And it's also super important to have connection and a sense of reliable support in the space where you live too, because otherwise it can end up feeling really lonely in your physical space or your geographical space, even though you have those connections at a distance. Right. And it's interesting. So I would say yes to the second part. Obviously, we know New York City, people move in and out. So I'm from native New Yorker, New York City. So my connections in New York City when I, around the time when I graduated from college are different than now, right? Because people that weren't from here have left, gone home or whatever. So we do have that transient nature. I guess commute is different now because we're all working from home. But I think depending on where you live in different boroughs, But it is interesting to think about, and again, speaking personally, when I've thought about in the COVID world, so for me personally, I have yet to take the subway. I have yet to get on the ferry, which is making me very sad about not having been to the beach. So then geography has really been important. So I have had two in-person connections within the last couple of months one of whom is a friend who lives, like we live within walking distance, right? So it, mm-hmm. it, so that is strengthened. And then one who lives in New Jersey, but she was driving to come to Brooklyn. So that's how we connected. So I, I see that sense of geography. So should I just be like standing on the corner in Brooklyn being like, hey, who wants to be my friend? Like, how do I increase or how do we all increase our, I guess, physically close friends as well as our distant friends? Yeah, I'm really glad you brought this up. I have, so in the book, I also, in addition to the four big challenges, I also talk about the four seeds of connection. And one of them is proximity. So certainly in time of COVID, I've heard 
New York, a lot of people have been moving out of New York too, like leaving. Um, and here in the Bay, it's also very common. It's like people getting out of big cities because they're like, well, what's the point if I'm not gonna be able to use any of the benefits of the city? And so a lot of that transience in that movement is still impacting people, even if they don't have a long commute because they're working from their kitchen. Well, if you move to a new state or a new city or, or you find that your friends have moved away or you can't see them because of COVID, you're still feeling that impact of that transiency and that mobility geography challenge. In the book, when I talk about proximity as one of the four things that helps knit people together and help them cultivate those friendships is a really, really big one. And I think it's often gotten kind of sh short shrift because of technology. You know, with the internet, we can connect with anybody around the world. And so, you know, most of the people who are probably connected to our social media accounts, you know, when you think about your friends or followers, do any of those people live within like a 10 minute walk of your house? Like, maybe, but probably not. And so I'm a really big advocate of going hyper local and really focusing, like kind of bloom where you're planted is like really get to invest in proximity because this is one of the things that makes a friendship reliable is when you can walk to each other's house in five minutes or you know if you were in trouble, like they, it would be no um, big deal for them to come over or to bring you something if you were, you know, really sick and you needed food delivered or something like that. Like they, there's someone who can look out for you who doesn't have to get on a plane to get to you. So in that uh, section of the book, I have a bunch of different activities and kind of audits and skill building things that people can do to cultivate more friendship in close proximity. So one of the ones, obviously, that seems quite obvious I, I advocate for is neighborliness. I am a huge fan of, you know, Mr. I, mean, I want to live in Mr. Rogers town. Like I want to be a good neighbor and I want to have good relationships with my neighbors as well. And so I, you know, I ask in the book, like, can you make a list of how many people you can walk to within one minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, who would you need to take a mode of transportation, like a car or a train or something to get to in 30 minutes and who lives over an hour away. And when you look at the list of who's nearby, if it's really short, invest in that, you know, have you introduced yourselves to your neighbors? Like, beyond just like, oh, hey, this is my name. Okay, that's your name. But like, have you tried to get to know them? Have you had a conversation with them? Have you been generous to them? Not expecting anything in return. These are the kinds of things that build a connection from nowhere. And it takes effort and courage and vulnerability to do that. But if we don't do it, then all we have is like people living next door to each other who all feel isolated or disconnected and don't feel like they can call on each other if they needed help. That's very interesting. I think about it. I haven't had, I mean, aside from hello, goodbye, right? There are people in the building, but I don't have, I would say, a close connection with anyone that lives in my building, which is different because I can remember back in the day when, and I noticed this, and I don't know if your research shows this as to if there was this particular time when this shifted, but I can remember that, again, being out of college, recent grad, living in New York City, where you would get together at someone's apartment, right? So you'd, you'd be like, all right, I'm going to go grab a whatever from the store and go hang out at so-and-so's house for their birthday. And then maybe afterwards you might go out, but then it seemed like then it shifted where now birthday parties, it was all about, okay, we're meeting at this bar, we're meeting at this restaurant, this location. And so 
I can remember in my old apartment in Brooklyn, I remember having people like having birthday parties in my apartment. I remember it like, so, okay, and I'm totally dating myself, like switching, like, you know, to get the, the colored light bulbs so we could have like the party atmosphere or whatever. And then, and then all of a sudden it was like, oh no, we don't do that anymore. We just, okay, everybody meet here. And, you know, we've got this section or we've got this table. So I don't know, have you seen any data around yeah. that? I write about this in the book as well, and that trend towards meeting outside the home, replacing the meeting inside the home, is one of the things that I, I don't classify it only as like a quote unquote, like all bad thing, because of course, it's delightful to go to a restaurant or a bar, support local businesses. I think that's great. But the default, when we make that the default and make our personal spaces kind of off limits, it creates distance, honestly, in a relationship. And I think it creates intimacy when you say to someone like, I want to share my space with you. And you know, you're sharing your space with me. And so that is one of the things I write about in the book. And of course, right now we're in COVID, like it's a little weird, you don't necessarily want to have everybody over in your house. And please do not have a party in your house right now. That's a really bad idea. Obviously, I care about emotional well-being, or I wouldn't have written a book about friendship, but I care about physical well-being more. Like in the hierarchy of needs, you need to be alive in order to have friends. So please do not have a party. But yes, exactly. Said, it's like, I feel like we need that disclaimer on the podcast. We start within podcast is not saying have a bunch of people over to your house right now. <laughs> right. And when it is safe to do so, that is one of the things that I, I really, really, truly believe is builds that closeness and intimacy so much easier than when you're, you know, crushed up in a coffee shop and people are sitting like six inches away from you and eavesdropping on your whole conversation. It's like you can have a more relaxed, easeful conversation when you don't feel rushed to get out because the server needs that table for somebody else, when it's not loud and like just a really chaotic environment. And when you're not like packed in like sardines with a whole bunch of other people. So I really, really, really value that. And I, and when it is safe to do so, that is one of the best things I recommend people do. And I suspect people will want to do because right now what we're experiencing is a forced scarcity around having people over or having a party or like sharing your like living room to hang out with your friends or even like to hug a friend. So like with that forced scarcity, just like anything else in a supply and demand market, like people are going to want it when you can't have it. And so I think it is helping people appreciate the value of those things more right now. And when it is safe to do so, we'll hopefully see more of that. And with that come an increase in friendships. Because it was one thing for me to write this book and advocate for that in the pre-COVID world where that was not an issue. Like last year when I was like, you know, finishing the editing for this, like that wasn't an issue. And it was like a little bit of work to get people to care about that. And now suddenly like everybody gets it. We're like, oh, when you can't see your people, life is not as good. <laughs> so make time for your people, make space wow. for them in your life. So you were a visionary and didn't even know it. <laughs> <laughs> so you, Zoom, who else were? No, just kidding. <laughs> I saw this before it was happening. Um, I'm sure you, you recognize that another aspect of this podcast is talking about supporting BIPOC leaders and communities of color. And so I wondered if any of your work has looked at this, given the social injustice and, and unrest that's happening in the country, how do friendships, connections play into all of this? 
I think it is even more important for BIPOC leaders or community members to have some sense of social support and community support because of the additional challenges that we go through living in this world, in the skin that we have. And it just makes it that much harder to face the challenges of racism, discrimination, bias, whether small microaggressions or really big ones. It makes it so much harder to deal with that when you don't have safe people to talk to or a safe space to go to, to vent, support, cry, ask for help, whatever it may be. And so, yeah, it's just that much more important. Right. And you mentioned safe spaces. So is there something that you're that you are doing or that your team is doing or that you are looking at around this? Because I think it is like you're saying, particularly I'm thinking of maybe because we know in the workplace, I'm thinking of people that are the onlys in, you know, I've been, I'm sure you've been that in, in a workplace environment and perhaps even in where you're living, right? I'm living in Brooklyn Heights, which is, you know, Brooklyn overall is diverse, but you know, in New York City, we have our pockets of where people live. So even thinking about, right, where are my friends? And that's not to say, you know, I don't have friends that, that aren't Black, but like, how is it that we do create these safe spaces and safe communities if we may be the, quote, only in a particular situation? When I've been in situations like that, sometimes like a safe space, it doesn't have to be like, like we, space we often think of as like a room or like a place. Um, but I think that safe people can create a safe space for us, even if it's only one relationship. So when I've been in a situation where I've been the only Black woman in the space or the only Black woman designer on my team, my safe space has been the like one or two people that I felt were like my closest friends in that workplace or in that conference or wherever it may be, who maybe, you know, they were not Black, but maybe they were people of color. And so they understand some of the same challenges that I experience even though they might be, you know, Southeast Asian or a trans person or a queer person or somebody else who understands what it's like to be marginalized in this society. And in that situation, like even having one relationship or two relationships of people I can go to and I can be my whole self and I know that they respect me and I respect them, like that creates a safe space, quote unquote, in that relationship. Right. I would, I would definitely agree about that. And being intentional about it. I don't know how you think about that, like not allowing it to be happenstance, which I guess is sort of, you know, aligns with your philosophy, right? That looking for those fellow <laughs> comrades for some reason yeah, is the word that's yeah. coming to mind. But, you know, it's, it's, it is almost like, you know, Absolutely. I don't like to use war analogy, right? But sometimes it feels like we're fighting up against so much and having that other person that can be like, oh yeah, I get that. I, I hear you or I've been there. Mm-hmm. Totally. So what do you think of the episode so far? What are your main takeaways? Before we jump into the next segment, I have a question for you. How are you dealing with the uncertainty that this pandemic is creating? The thing is, we all have different responses to trauma. Do you tend to fight or get angry? 
flight or run away or freeze, get stuck. We're all being impacted by this situation in different ways. The goal is to recognize how you respond, find healthy ways to release your anxiety so you can take steps to thrive once all of this subsides. It is possible when you start within and I would like to help you to do it. You can visit my website, startwithincoaching.com, and at the top, click Start Here to schedule your complimentary activation call. We can talk about what's going on in your life right now, how you are in your mental health and well being, and where you would like to be when this all ends. So go to startwithincoaching.com and click Start Here to start your journey within. So I'd like to switch gears a, a little bit because I know we've been talking a lot about social connections and social support. What are some of the things that you do to maintain your own personal health and well-being? Well, one thing that's really important to me clearly is friendship. And so having time to connect with a friend, even if it's not every day, if it's a couple times a week, like making that a priority is really important. And also managing that in a way that respects my energy level. So I'm an introvert. And so it's funny, people are often surprised that I'm an introvert and I care so much about social wellness. And it's because as an introvert, you know, I get drained by a lot of social interaction. And because I get tired from it, I want it to be really high quality. So I care a lot about social well-being and really meaningful interactions. Because if I'm going to get tired from chit-chat or tired from a deep conversation, I'm going to want the deep conversation because that's so much more fulfilling. And so with that, you know, making time for a meaningful connection each week is really important. Making time to connect with one of my close friends who gets me. We never have to do the preamble warm up. I can just launch into the thing. She could launch into the thing. It's like we're there is really important. And I also have been taking care of myself, not just with those kinds of interactions, but also giving myself a break from devices when I can. A lot of people have defaulted to using Zoom for everything. And I use Zoom for especially a lot of the community groups that I run. Like people want to see each other. It's meaningful to see another face, especially for the folks who live alone and are quarantining alone. That it's, would be me. Yeah. Like, I'm, is that nice to be able to see another human even in the screen? <laughs> I get it. And I also, I really love phone calls. Like I really like just an audio call. It feels in some ways more natural because I can like walk around or move or I don't feel like I have to have my hair done. Like it's okay. And so taking breaks from screen time is useful. Being in nature when I can is useful. Writing. I've been writing letters to my friends as a way to connect with them without having to be on a device to connect. And I love getting letters. So that's been a really sweet way to nurture these connections, even though we're at home. And I run a connection club for people who want that blend of things. So like a little bit of a break from device, connecting with a friend in an analog way. And if they're hungry for connection, having a chance to see other folks that they can build relationships with in the community 
on the call. Yeah, yeah. I want to I want to ask you about that in in a minute. I also want to echo the fact because I know when we were doing the planning for this podcast and it was like a call, and I originally was thinking like call, like why not Zoom? And yet I have also now started to like. It's almost like re-liking, I know that's not a word, but like liking the phone again, because you're right, you get to walk around, you get to, so then you get your steps in, right? Because we're all being so sedentary. And there is something different now. I don't know. It's And I I think on the podcast, listeners may realize when I'll say silly things like, you know, it's not just for swiping, like your phone is actually for speaking as well. But I love that you've resumed letters. I hadn't thought about that. It's really lovely. Mm, did you get special stationery? Like, is, is it? Well, I've thing? always loved letters. You know, one of my best friends and I were pen pals for nine years before we even lived in the same city. So we just wrote letters back and forth to each other. And I love, 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 like stationery, mail, stamps. Like I get into it. Like I nerd out. Like I have my dinosaur stamps and my like gardening stamps and the hip hop stamps. Like it is so fun to put those little stickers on envelopes. I'm telling you, it's also so freaking special to see your friend's handwriting and to know that they sat down and for 15 or 30 minutes, they put all their attention on you when they wrote you a letter and wanted to send you something to show that they cared about you. It feels special to receive that. And it feels special to know that when your letter arrives in their box, it's going to be like a sweet little surprise, you know? And I just have always loved it. And I'm really glad to be able to encourage more people to experience that now because our fast paced, like high tech world, like kind of turns up its nose, I think at analog ways or or ways of slowing down. And I am a, a huge proponent of slowing down and doing things in simpler, more nurturing, more fulfilling for the soul kinds of ways. And typing an email is necessary and and you can do a lot to connect with a friend by writing an email and, and I'm not knocking that. But it's also, man, so special when you can put it in a physical form and let them hold it in their hand. Wow. So that's another thing that we have in common. I think my oldest friend, we began as pen pals and she used to live in California and now she lives in Iowa. But that sense of all those years when we were growing up writing letters and she is, she's a collector, I would say, because she has scanned and screenshot, you know, sent me pictures of things. I have now been able to read things that I wrote as a kid because she saved it. I feel so horrible that I can't return the favor for her. Because, you know, with all the moves or whatever, I just, I don't have all of the, all of that memorabilia, but it is amazing. So now not only are we still in touch, but I also get a window into my younger self because she kept all of that information. That's so beautiful. How wonderful. Yeah. And it's so interesting hearing the, the love in your voice when you speak about writing. I can imagine that your friends must, that they feel that love when they're getting your letters. Thank you. I hope they do. (laughs) So yeah, so let's jump back to Connection Club. Tell us more about what that is and how that all works. Yeah, so it's a weekly ritual to focus on connection. After reading my book, sometimes people will email me and say, you know, this is really inspiring. I really want to do a better job nurturing my friendships. And 
or they'll say, you know, I, I really like this book, but I actually don't feel like I have the friends in my life I'm looking for. Like, where can I make them? And what they want with that is not just to make any friend, but they want a friend who cares as much about friendship as they do. Because you wouldn't read a book about friendship if you didn't care about friendship. And sometimes people are dissatisfied in friendship because they are invested on a level that the other person is not. And so Connection Club is there as a weekly ritual to nurture friendship and connection. The way it works is the first half hour is introvert friendly. So for people like me, who the whole world, every event in the world is extrovert friendly 100%. At my event, introverts <laughs> go first. So the first half hour, we spend writing letters to our friends. And I play really great. I DJ some nice chill background music. We have a nice warm welcome for new people when they come in. It's always a mix of familiar faces and new people. Uh, and new, new folks can join at any time. It's not like a weird insider's club where like you'll feel left out. It's not like that. So you come on in, we get situated, we kick it off. We do half an hour of letter writing. And then the second half hour is extrovert time. So if you want to connect with other people, you want to get to know the other folks in the club, you want to have that sense of familiarity and continuity and like familiar faces and really feeling more connected from a distance with new people who also care about friendship and community and want to have good conversations. So not only talking about the weather or coronavirus, but also saying like, what was a time where you felt really disconnected from a friend and a time you felt really connected to a friend? Like what was a special memory that you have in your life that you think about, but never talk about? You know, I, I ask a lot of the questions that I used at my Better Than Small Talk event, which is like 300 plus conversation prompts that are designed to evoke connection between people. All of them, FYI, are in the back of the book, We Should Get Together. So if you want to use those in your own life, feel free, get the book, they're all in there. Or if you want to have those conversations with other people and you don't feel like there's someone in your life you can go there with, Connection Club is a place you can do that. And folks, when we do our checkout circle at the very end, uh, one of the questions I ask is like, you know, what are a few words you feel after this experience? And, and people say things like inspired, connected, motivated, calm, like, you know, apart and together at the same time, you know, like all of the things that we're mutually feeling, um, but also giving that sense of hope and optimism that even though these, this pandemic we're in is tough, like there's still moments of beauty and connection and support that are available when you get in the room with people who value this thing at the same level that you value this thing. So all of this talk about connection is prompting me to ask, have there been any love connections that have developed through any of your work? So in Connection Club, not that I'm aware of, it's not a singles club, it's a friendship club, but in another group that I run, which is uh, called Bay Area Black Designers, it's a professional development community for Black designers in the Bay Area. And actually two of the members in that group started dating a couple years ago. And then this summer they got engaged. So that's the only love connection <laughs> in a community. Yeah. <laughs> I had to ask. I had to ask because, because really, I mean, if you think about it, developing relationships, right. You know, you would like to hope that there's a friendship basis or a friendship foundation to it. Right. Yeah. I had to ask, you know, 
Inquiring <laughs> minds want to know. Maybe, so if anyone is listening and they haven't told Kat, you might, I'm just kidding. <laughs> send her an email, send her a tweet, let her know that, yes, I met my, yeah, anyway. Yeah, exactly. I would want to know if somebody like did, like I would want to know that. But as far as I can tell, it's platonic because that's the focus <laughs> of the group. <laughs> got it. Got it. That's connection. That's connection club 2.0, right? Yeah, hey, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. So one of the questions that I ask all of my podcast guests to share and answer to is what does start within mean to you? So start within means to me first looking inside. So knowing yourself is the first step. When you look inside and really truly know who you are, what you value and represent in the world, what you're looking for, what you offer, what you need, then you're so much more able to be clear with other people and to attract, honestly, the experiences and connections that you're looking for. So start within means first like going within, really knowing yourself and being willing to define and clarify who you are and what you are drawing towards you from the world. When you do that, the choices that you make are going to support the things that you need and hopefully support the relationships that you can offer to others in a more authentic way. Right. I love that. And I was thinking about tying it into your work that then exactly like you said, attracting the right connections and being able to build more meaningful connections as a result. Yeah. Fantastic. I've been so excited to have this conversation with you and I'm sure our listeners really want to know where can they get your info, the books, the community? How, how, do, how do we find out about all of this? Yeah. So they can go to my website, we should get together.com, and there they can find information about the books, information about upcoming events. If they want to join Connection Club, that's all there. If they're interested in seeing like other writing or interviews or press that I've done, that's everything about We Should Get Together is there, as well as Connected from Afar. Both books are available anywhere they buy books. I have the ebooks available on my website. Um, it's always best to get from the author if you're looking for the ebook version, but you can also get it on Kindle or Amazon or Bookshop or Barnes and Noble, any place you buy books. I recommend supporting independent booksellers whenever you can, but do what you got to do. And <laughs> if you want to connect with me on social media, uh, mostly I post about all my friendship related content on Instagram. And so my illustrations are there, I post like daily prompts and challenges and things like that for people to reflect on and build connection with. So that is at catvelos underscore author on Instagram. And if they want to find me on Twitter, it's just at catvelos. And uh, Twitter is kind of a mixed bag. Sometimes it's my friendship connection stuff. And sometimes it's just like me asking people for cauliflower recipes. So, um, you know. I've seen those. I've seen those. <laughs> Start within tribe. I was like cauliflower, zucchini. She's looking for like <laughs> cooking recipes here. <laughs> I love roasted cauliflower. I was like, but I've never made it. So I was like, I can't help her, but I may have to scroll through and see what you. What there was a lot of good suggestions. Got. Apparently, Twitter is a place to go when you need food inspiration. 
Absolutely. And, and I love the, the Velociraptor. What, what led to that as your name? It's funny. It's a nickname that I made up probably when I made my first Instagram account back, like when it started, because, you know, my last name is Velos and I don't have a lot, like people like make nicknames out of cat. They're like, Oh, catamaran or like catalyst or whatever. But my last name is like pretty unusual. And so there's not a lot you can do with it, but I really love dinosaurs. And so uh, Velos, Velociraptor, I mean, come on, like I maybe maybe one of the only people in the world who can do that nickname out of their last name. So I had to do it. And so that's why that's on my Twitter name. <laughs> I love it. I love it. There were like two questions I needed to ask on the podcast. And so now I, I'm done because I had to ask about Velociraptor and I had to ask about love connections. So I feel complete. Thank you. Thank You're you. welcome. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm glad I could <laughs> offer that to you. No, kidding aside though, really, I want to thank you for sharing so much of you and sharing so much of your, your thoughts. And I, again, I, I, I'll say it again, like I really can feel the love that you're bringing to the work. And given all that we are all going through right now, I think it's so, so needed. So thank you for doing the work that you're doing. You're welcome. Thank you so much for your acknowledgement and uh, for the invitation to share this conversation with you and with all of your listeners. Absolutely. So that's all for now. Start within tribe and stay tuned for our next coach chat episode. If you enjoyed this episode and haven't already subscribed, you can do so on Spotify, Apple podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. You also can connect with me on Instagram at coach underscore Colette for more inspiration on personal growth and wellness. Want to help us create more great content and host more live podcast events? Then join our Start Within tribe and support this podcast with a small donation to help sustain our future episodes. Visit anchor.fm slash coach hyphen Colette slash support to get started today. You know, this podcast is truly my passion project and I really appreciate your continued support. Get ready to start within to finish strong.